Hello, and welcome to That New Car Sense. My name is Jack Van Way of Shiva AI. And my name is Trevor Kerwin, also of Shiva AI. Welcome to this, our sixth episode of That New Car Sense. Join us as we'll be discussing what's new at the frontier of the driver's digital experience. How the inside of your car is a place you're going to want to be, not just a place you need to be. And when it is a place you need to be, we'll talk about how the future of connectivity and mobility are coming together to make the customer's in-car user experience memorable for all kinds of brands. Here's what you can expect. Trevor and I will unpack and discuss the latest news and announcements from the front lines of the new digital car experience. And then we'll be bringing on interesting guests to dig down further and enlighten you and us on some new aspect of this fast-growing space. Look for a new episode every month or so, and please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Shiva AI and read more information about us in the podcast description on Spotify. And so with that, let's dive into our uh, news of the week. So Trevor, in our recent article finds, we found a article coming from Forbes where it's talking about battery swapping. This is an interesting conversation that's been having over the recent years trying to solve the EV charging experience lag where there's that huge wait time. Uh, What did you think of this article, Trevor? Well, Jack, this article and this particular uh, firm doing this, uh, you know, I think they, uh, it's, it's a Chinese automaker as well, but they, they make EVs. So therefore they make batteries. Uh, The, that idea is not new. There's been different, uh, I think there's a company called Better Place originally suggested doing it. And the challenge to swapping, you know, hot swapping a battery out of the car um, has always been, A, there's not enough EVs to make something worthwhile. B, there's a smaller number of available types of EV, all with very different battery configurations. So, you know, like the like anything in tech, uh, there tends to be a battle format when uh, a battle over format when it first comes out, right? Uh, uh, you know, for your VCR, you know, beta versus uh, VHS, Apple versus Google, or Apple versus Android. Uh, same ideas, right? There's always there's always like a battle over whose plug or whatever it is is the one we're all going to decide to use, and so that's a big challenge for this space, but. As there are more EVs and, and as automaker, pretty much every big automaker now is transitioning to just do EVs over the next decade or so, um, there will be some commonalities between the battery if only to make supply chains easier for those automakers. In other words, the same way they bought gas tanks or brake pads or whatever before contracted to with outside uh, builders of the parts, to, and suppliers, they will do the same thing about batteries where they're not necessarily going to make everything, uh, you know, hand built in house, right? So, uh, or hand designed or designed specific to a model or whatever, right? So the idea then is, okay, if we have some commonality of the battery types, what's the biggest thing, and we know it here, given what Shima focuses on all the time about customer experience, the biggest difference is you know, it takes two and a half minutes to fuel a car with gasoline, to fill the tank with gas, and tap your credit card the old way, right, and drive off. And of course, we enable that. We can save you several seconds on that. But the average EV charging experience is six minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. Uh, you know, it's long. Now, there's a big, um, you know, let's take out the craziness right now in the energy markets aside because there's, there's a lot of, you know, weird distortions with Ukraine, with uh, supply chain issues, with the, you know, there's a whole there's a whole host of issues uh, around energy pricing as a commodity right now. But in general, uh, a a tank, quote unquote, of electricity will cost you fifty to seventy five percent less than a tank of gasoline to get a similar range out of it, right? And so there's a lot of margin there to play with. Uh, you know, therefore, if a tank of gas is 40 bucks, a tank, a quote, tank of electricity is $10. So there's a lot of margin there that you're saving out of my budget that I'm willing as a customer for a better customer experience, probably, and this is the guess of Neo and some of these other battery swapping concepts, is to say, oh, well, I'll pay $5 to 
to let you hot swap a battery or $20, like I'll pay double the price of the, the electricity to be able to be out of there in two minutes versus uh, 10 minutes. And so that's why it, it's a better customer experience. Um, you know, I, I, most of them seem to picture it like a going into a Jiffy Loop where you drive in and, you know, a person or probably a robot in the future doing that kind of thing will just, you know, open the right hatch and take out the battery and put in the other one and you drive off. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it's an interesting idea that way. So, uh, you know, but there's a lot of, there is a lot of things that's gotta be, that have to be solved for it to get, to reach mass scale. Anyway, what'd you think of that one, Jack? Definitely on the same trend there, Trevor. The idea of being able to swap batteries is an awesome idea. You know, it's a huge interest of me to be able to just pull in, rip that battery out, put a new one in and drive off. You know, the idea of like changing your batteries in your PlayStation controller, you know, it's, you know, something that easy and simple, but we all know, you know, the logistics behind that is going to be more difficult and harder than the average person can imagine. You know, again, what you brought up the, you know, each vehicle is different. I, I, the Chinese automakers that are doing this, tend to be smaller cars. You know, I pull up my big EV pickup truck that I'm hoping to have one day. It's going to need a different battery, different different type of, you know, maintenance than, you know, what they would need. So it, the idea is awesome. And the solution, you know, wouldn't be a, every type of charge deal, but it, when needed. And that's where I think it's going to be important. You know, if someone needs that huge battery pack quickly, I need to get this and go. That, that's where this would come in. You know, most of the bark, bulk charging would be done at home every night or at work or while you're getting a coffee and just sitting and your car's sitting for a while. You have time, you're at the mall, all these different locations where you could sit and enjoy whatever activity you're doing while your car's charging. But when you need a quick instance where you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, I, I need this done quick so I can get back on the road. I have a deadline, something. But uh, it's the technology is not necessarily there yet. And, you know, a reoccurring discussion that's going to be happening throughout today and throughout the future is that you can't push this technology too fast. Uh, We talk about this all the time, Trevor, in our personal lives, just me and you chit chatting, but the gas stations and the gas automobile didn't happen overnight. You know, this took decades too. So the technology slowly getting there, figuring out how to make better batteries, how to make them easier to pull out, how to make them more universal standardization. It's going to take time, but it's going there. You know, and that's what this article talks about is these Chinese automakers are able to re- significantly reduce the price of these batteries costs by the standardization and being able to pump them out very fast. And, you know, the new batteries they're making, the new types. So I think as the technology develops, you know, we'll come up with these new batteries that will work. And this might be a, you know, more executable idea. And I don't think, you know, the article talks about it's going to take over charging. I don't think it's going to take over charging, but I think it's going to take over a different uh, area of charging that regular EV charging won't be able to accomplish. Well, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting viewpoint on that. It may be, it may take, you know, 20%, you know, long distance driving, trips or something like that yeah that could be that could be very interesting it, and it is very hard to um or one of the biggest challenges when somebody you know somebody looks at a market like oh there are two cars for every or you know uh, i forget what the figure is i think it's three vehicles like trucks or cars for every two Americans, um, roughly. So there's a lot of vehicles on the road. And people go, oh, what a massive market. I'm going to crack that with this new thing. And it's new yeah. infrastructure and it's tough, right? So it's like building, okay, that's great. You got a cool new thing. You got to build out, you know, all those gas stations, like you pointed out, all those gas stations that get built overnight um, to connect you from Maine to California. Um, that, that's the, you know, that's the challenge. But on to... Number two, around that point about infrastructure. Here's story number two, Jack. Um, Michigan's Department of Transportation is partnering with an Israeli startup called Electrion. Now, this is also like uh, the uh, battery swapping thing we just discussed, 
this is the same thing. People have been talking about wireless charging. Electrion does wireless charging. So what they want to do is embed wireless charging in the road. Uh, so you would literally just drive on it at highway speed and your car will charge. There's no, you know, there's no plug. It's inductive charging. So there's a, basically a plate on the vehicle and a plate in the road. You drive over them and you get charged. The same as if you, you know, I think if you go to Starbucks right now, you can, or yeah. if you have one at home, you can put your cell phone on a little pad and you don't have to plug anything in, right? Same idea. Uh, so, and, and of course the challenge, this is great news for as they try to crack the world of big rigs being electrified as well, because now picture every big interstate having, you know, 20 miles of, of electric charging every 200 miles or whatever you need. And, you know, you'll never really have to stop. But what do you think of this idea, Jack? So I'm going to start off talking about the article, but then I'm going to go off the deep end here. But <laughs> okay. I, I've been following this. Actually, I've seen this Israel company talked about in multiple occasions with their project that they were doing in Israel first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was a decent, I mean, I think it was, I don't know the timeline or how long ago it was, but I remember seeing it. And, you know, the, it coming over to the U.S. is a big thing. I'm excited to see it product testing. Uh, where I want to go with this is uh, the idea that my biggest fear is getting stuck in traffic or any situation where you're going to be sitting on the road, and I have this with gas too, and you can't go anywhere, and you're just watching that gauge keep going down and down, and you're like, well, I'm going to burn out of fuel in the middle of traffic here. Uh, but you know, in these big cities, and you know, I don't run into traffic a lot where I live, so this is a unusual fear for me. And I don't actually run into this a lot, but I think the idea that the road having the ability to charge your vehicle while you're driving is a huge benefit to the public, especially in these areas where if you're going to be stuck in traffic for a while, why not charge your car? It's just the ability to have that while you're driving over it, it charging your vehicle is just huge. And if you're going to be stuck in traffic for an hour, yeah, why not charge my car while I'm stuck in traffic for an hour? Uh, it just... It it's going to be a bigger problem for the grid and figuring out how to do this with a situation like that. But I think it, it's a super cool concept. I think there's a lot of technology and ingenuity going into it in the future. It's one of those near future ideas. Again, like I said, I near future, far in the future, I don't think we're going to be able to infrastructurally and statistically put in a large amount of these EV charging roads everywhere in the next couple of years, it'll be like, Oh, it's just going to be the thing. No, it's going to take again, I think years and years and years to develop this system, figure out how to best utilize it and actually tackle in road charging. But, uh, that, that's my quick grasp on this. I know the article goes a little more into how this is work in Michigan, but I'm taking this as an overall U S perspective. Uh, what do you think about this, Trev? And, you know, uh, I'm, your point is right where there is, you're not going to see this on remote highways anytime, particularly soon, um, except as a, you know, a convenient place to test the technology, maybe somewhere where there's less traffic. So it's less disruptive to put a pilot in, right? Because you're going to dig things up. Yes. Bad stuff. But the, but this idea of it's not just the charging piece too, which it, which people don't think of. Uh, the, every we've talked about this and touched on it before. Every battery that's in an EV is also an asset to the power grid. It's a liability in that it needs charging from the power grid. In other words, that's how everybody often talks about EVs. You'll see all these stories saying, "Oh, the grid is not ready for the, all these EVs." And yes, you're moving the energy budget from fossil fuels to the power grid, whatever powers the power grid, whole other discussion, but the idea of, you know, being, having to, having to charge all that stuff is, is scary to some people. It's not really, if I can manage it in real time, having these, having these batteries be able to not just charge at, which is critical for the driver of the truck or the car to say like, Oh, I need to fuel up. I don't have to stop to fuel up. I can just keep going and we'll fuel up automatically. The idea is also if you're driving in a certain place at a certain time and the power grid needs power back and you just filled your your EV battery filled, quote unquote, your EV battery, um, you know, 100 miles back on the highway. Well, now you can discharge it into the grid there 
and and help the power grid out. You, of course, should be compensated for that, the same as if you siphoned gas out of your car. Somebody should pay you but, <laughs> um, if that happens, uh, if they're not stealing it. But the, the idea of, of that, of these things being bolstering grid resilience to me, this is, you know, what part of what we do with like precise location, that's the biggest piece of it. I need to know where the battery is in real time and within two meters. So I can say, oh, okay, well, he is um, a kilometer away from, or a mile or 10 miles or whatever, miles away from a place to discharge and help the power grid. I will consider that energy at that moment in time, but I know he's moving towards that point at the speed because I can see him. That's what we do with Shiva, right? So we can see it as, as location. But the, you know, the, that's, that's one key piece of it. The other key piece is not plugging, right? Not physically attaching the car to the power grid. Um, and like that ability to do that makes things way more flexible. No, absolutely, Trevor. Immediately talking about grid resilience, you know, here, it's going to lead us to our next story. But before we get there, yeah, it just like you talk about the idea of being flexible and helping the ground in any situation is going to be the key to any EV charging source. Uh, it, it's it's going to come down to how can we work with the grid in the best suitable format and the best suitable format for the drivers too. It, it's going to be a huge partnership, I think. But moving on to our last and final question, especially with the grid, you know, that's our main, I think, topic for today. We got into a story about bi-directional charging and paying the grid and the grid paying us. You know, this this partnership that we will need to have with EV chargers and our vehicles. What did you think about it, Trev? Well, and, and if you've listened along so far in this conversation, you're going to see a theme today and with our special guest when, when uh, they come up as well later on here. And it's uh, it's all EVs, and it's all EVs and their role in the grid and how you automate that uh, a little bit. We didn't do that necessarily intentionally, but that's what happened. Uh, the grid, this idea of bi-directional charging, as we just talked about with uh, with Electrion and Michigan in the previous story, right? That idea of oh, you have to be able to not just charge. And which has its own set of challenges and responsibilities and benefits. But if you can discharge, if you can take energy from the car and put it in the grid, that has a great deal of benefit for the grid. And you don't think it's a big deal because like, oh, how much energy could I have in my car at any given time? Well, multiply it by any, you know, a decade from now when half the vehicles on the road will probably be EVs, it's a different world. And again, that math we just talked about, you know, three vehicles for every two Americans. Uh, that's a lot of batteries and a lot of potential electricity I can marshal. So with this idea, this is actually Revel, and, and I've seen announcements around this before. These, uh, Nissan just did something with Vermont Energy, same idea. The charging equipment that exists in, in the world right now, and you and I have talked about this before, about you know the need for more chargers, the need for the chargers to be more flexible, the need for the chargers to work. Uh, there is a you know a bad downtime problem <laughs> yeah. with that hardware, right? Um, he, the, they typically only charge. Why? Well, that's the cheapest thing to build, and. And that's really what you're doing, right? If it's the analog to putting gasoline in your tank. I don't have a bi-directional pump at a gas station if the gas station 40 miles down the road is running out of gas. And no, because they have a supply system that, <laughs> that handles that. We, uh, for EVs now, will, you know, the, that few, that electricity has more benefit than liquid gasoline does to everybody else. Houses, for air conditioning at a moment in time like so that the, there's electricity is very very fungible so it, it's got a real benefit to being able to move both ways so with a little extra investment in the hardware you can make those chargers bi-directional and do this thing that we talked about like you know and discharging energy based on some you know probably an operator somewhere doing optimization around it um but uh well what do you think about this one jack the immediate overall arcing is that the grid is vital to the EV charging experience. And again, this will be 
a bigger part of we'll expand on this more with our guest speaker who you know again has a huge knowledge in this area about how we got to partner with the grid it, it it has to be sustainable to the future for the grid to be able to handle a load of the e of an ev us you know like what biden talks about making the us a ev monster you know let's get to evs you know that's the, the trend get everything over to evs get off this fossil fuel uh we're gonna have to make sure the grid can handle that and this is where the cross directional charging comes in and you know we talk about power banks where there would be locations where we just store power at all these areas where trying to avoid a grid problem and recently we've had a lot of grid problems it's not only just for the evs necessarily but uh, states have had grid issues just because of with, without even worrying about EVs, just because of their own issues. And, you know, this happened to California, Texas, their, their grids are vulnerable. Well, you know, vulnerable. They, they would heat storms and they're only going to get worse, you know, with record heats and record storms always happening. The grid is going to just be more and more susceptible, susceptible to these issues. And, EVs and this bi-directional charging and changing our infrastructure could help this issue. It could make the issues less worse, go the opposite direction with, you know, the environment battling us. Let's go the opposite way with more people. Let's go the opposite way. If we build out the infrastructure, have the EVs, you know, this is something that could be talked about today with Florida and Hurricane Ian, you know, praying for them to get a fast recovery. It's pretty bad damage down there, mm-hmm. you know, we could we could have used a better grid protection system to help them with storm cleanup, making sure that everyone has power. Again, not everyone can have power. You know, an issue, a storm that bad, it's going to have issues. But let's take away some of these issues with you know, these massive power sources just being everywhere. You know, it's, it's we're not talking about a phone power. You, you plug your you you throw the phone life. You know, yeah, it's bi-directional charge your phone into the house yeah that doesn't do much no how about we get a massive <laughs> there was, of yes. power yes. from a vehicle and bi-directional charge it help with these like, you know like ford's done a really great thing i think with trying to make their new electric lightning a construction vehicle where it, it's a generator you know the idea that right. it could power things well yeah when my house goes out on power i'd love to have a ford lightning in the driveway so I could plug in something. Yeah, my fridge is working because my truck's powering it. You know, helping out with these small things and having these massive, you know, and I think this is where Shiva can also come in where we help, you know, having the idea of where these are located is another huge source because they're like, oh, you know, I we need help over in this sector of the grid, blah, blah, blah. Now, where are these battery sources? Where is this power? No idea. You know, we, we got to have some location tracking on this to know where these locations are and how they can help and have communication with systems. You know, that's where vehicle to grid and vehicle to everything solutions come in. And I, I think this is where the story talks a little bit about it, you know, talk about paying back people for extra energy, charging, all these other things. But I think there's a bigger issue and solution to be discussed around it. And uh, it's only going to be more and more discussion as time goes on. I can only see this being talked about exponentially more over the next couple of years. And you're right. And this particular story, um, you know, is about uh, a, uh, a company called Revel. For those who may not be familiar, they do a lot of people familiar with them. They do um, rental motorcycles and, and scooters and so on. And uh, but the batteries are the same, um, whether it's a car or whatever else, too. And their whole point was, let's monetize that electricity that's in your battery via bi-directional charging. Of course, we know that that's our job is to help handle the transactions for those kind of payments. And that's one of the issues about this. Um, there are a lot of archaic laws uh, about <laughs> yeah. who generates electricity, right? Not the way we have gasoline. Gasoline, you know, you go to a Shell station or an Exxon station or whoever. Um, in, in many states uh, and in many countries in Europe and provinces in Canada and so on, there is one big utility or two or three big utilities that are regulated that have a very specific piece of geography. And they often started as, you know, the State Department of Energy uh, in 1920 or something like that, right? And then they got spun off and were privatized and so on. And they 
have laws where they say, well, we're the only person who can generate electricity because it's dangerous if everybody just starts setting up power plants and starts moving electricity around. Um, and so there is, there's a whole host of um, soft infrastructure things, rules, regulations, and so on that might need to change. But that I, uh, and it, what those laws actually do is keep you from getting paid. The, the, the law usually typically says something like, only we may generate electricity for money in the province of New Brunswick, right? Um, and so if you come along and say, well, I want to sell energy into the grid, it's like, well, you've got to go through us to sell electricity. Those rules need to change, but enabling the infrastructure to be able to handle it now. And, and your point about, it, it is critical, and your point about the Ford F-150, the Lightning, the, you know, that's our big selling point. This is a generator. Um, this isn't just an electric truck that's got a whole host of cool performance issues that EVs have over combustion powered cars and vehicles, period. It's also, hey, you're a guy who uses this truck to go do some work somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere. And you really could use a power. Normally right now, you have to bring a generator with you and so on. We can, just, we can do that. And so they're already exploiting that benefit. Um, but anyway, that's a, that is a wrap on our news of the week. Stick around for our big interview because we're going to be talking about a lot of the stuff we just talked about. And time for the interview section of the pod today. And uh, we're really excited as we always are. We're always, we always seem to manage to get great guests on here. Uh, and today is no exception. Uh, a longtime friend of at least half the podcasting team here as well. Bonnie Lind is joining us today, a founder of Berkshire Bridge Energy. Uh, Bonnie has a great background in uh, not just in the energy business overall and renewables, particularly around renewables, but in distributed assets and in the world of EV charging right now. And it's something we need to think about. And that's why we want to talk about it today. Bonnie, welcome aboard. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you very much. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself before we uh, before we get into it here. Sure. So I've been in the energy space and renewable energy space for about 20 years now. Um, and I love the space because what I love to do is integrate new technology and new types of energy and into the grid and into our and in, into how we we function. And it's always a fun opportunity to be in the midst of the change and the structures and the new pieces from, you know, the first wind farm uh, in New England to the first utility scale battery to being part of the California distributed energy resource provider um, program that was set up that I helped set up in California to, um, you know, all of the different ISOs and getting renewable energy allowed into the different grid structures um, that wasn't previously allowed. So it, the fun is you take the first wind farm in New England and then you decide that since they're curtailing you, that you need to be in the ancillary services market. And if you're part of the ancillary services market, then you're part of the critical infrastructure and boom, you're making more money and your, your wind farm doesn't get turned off. So all sorts uh, of kind of fun first. And, and that is, uh, I know Bonnie very well from being on the other side of those transactions that Bonnie mentions. Uh, it is, uh, it, it can be a bit of a wild world out there in the world of energy and we know like it's not as uh, it, it's not as simple as it might have been when uh, if you think about a gas station today where they where you just purchase a tank full of gasoline and uh, it's a commodity product electricity is certainly a commodity but it's just, it's distribution is a lot different and then a lot uh, it's it distribution not only as a supplier and a buyer is a very different relationship in, than it would be for gasoline but there's also a lot more potential distribution nodes uh, with electricity, i.e. there is power everywhere versus trying to buy a tank full of gas. So it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. And with that, uh, Bonnie, and that idea, since you've looked at a lot of these distributed energy asset projects over your career, um, let's start with something very simple because the rule, there's so many rules and so many layers. What makes a successful infrastructure project? The one that you can get done. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds flippant but uh you know it, it it's there's a there's a lot of pushing of of 
um, pushing things uphill uh, when you're trying to get a project done. So um, the neat part about distributed energy projects is unlike a utility scale project, which is fairly limited in where you can locate it, and um, the distributed assets really have that ability to go on every corner. And to your point, Trevor, because there's electricity, especially in more urban areas, wherever there's electricity, you can put a project. So that makes it sound easy. The catch is um, knowing all the bits and pieces that go behind it. But really, the, the successful assets are the ones that are solving a problem. Um, or are able to create additional value and create additional revenue streams beyond just the, the, the bare bones. So for example, if you're looking at distributed assets that are solar plus storage, which is oftentimes what you see uh, to support a charging network, the, the, the storage has the ability to offset demand charges. The solar has the ability to uh, work on providing power as well as some of the time of use. Uh, issues, depending on what state you're in and what location you're in and what, what the peak power times are. Um, but those assets um, really then can also be utilized for participation in the grid or other pieces. Um, so there's a lot of neat opportunities, but uh, you know, the, the one you can get done is the most important. So, so try, try really hard to um, find the right partners so that you can really rinse, wash, and repeat as much as possible. No, that definitely makes sense, Bonnie. I mean, we look at a lot of smart city infrastructure things, and that's sort of, you know, you got to really look at what you're trying to accomplish and actually being able to get it done, not, you know, you, not taking money and then putting into something and it doesn't work, you know, like where you don't actually accomplish what you're hoping to gain. And uh, you know, that's just how these big projects and in a tough environment work, you know, you gotta, you gotta choose your battles properly. And, uh, you know, that leads another battle we're going to be talking about is, uh, EVs. You know, there's, there's definitely a big battle coming up with EV and EV charging development, not keeping up pace to the ever growing ecosystem to incentive, to incentivize more of it. What do, you know, various stakeholders need to know? And I know we talked about this a little bit where like, uh, utilities and all, but you know, what, what do you think? So I think um, let, let's start with, you know, kind of various property owners. I think there's a neat way to educate or provide. Um, a lot of the consulting I do is trying to help educate people on how this can make money for them. Because let's be honest, most people who are property owners are really good at whatever goes into the property. And quite frankly, until, you know, you've started seeing recent power outages and things like that. The average um, energy consumer would spend eight minutes a year on their energy bill. And that was all they thought about, unless it was out of line. Most people kind of have it set. It's, it's within the right bandwidth and they, they you know, it auto pays and away it goes. Um, and trying to um, provide that service to educate some of the property owners and other folks on how they can make this not a hassle um, is really important. Um, and then it, really, where, where are their opportunities? How can they see the benefit? So there's, there's a lot on that front that, you know, nobody wants to add an extra hassle. So how do we do a better job of educating, you know, property owners with, you know, a mall or large, you know, other, other locations that would make sense to put a lot of this EV infrastructure in? Um, the other, <laughs> if I had to pick the other one, um, if we could pick the, the utilities. Um, I was recently in an office with um, the largest, one of the largest utilities in the United States uh, in the Southeast and in the same room with the, the ISO at the time and um, was with Sunrun at the, at the time who has the contract with, the, with Ford for all of their charging infrastructure for the F-150 Lightning, which is amazing. Um, and we walked in and said, so this is announced, this is coming. What are you planning to do about it? Are you ready for this? What, what projects have you guys been working on in the background? And we got a resounding sense of crickets. They, they just said, well, we're not there yet. We haven't even thought about it. So I, I think um, having been in the DG space for a long time, um, I've watched where you know 
how are we managing these systems? How are they talking? What are the communications protocols back and forth between the utility and the assets and to really maximize the value of these assets, which is really important for both sides, um, the utilities need to really come at it from a more collaborative instead of an obstructionist perspective um, or, or, or pretending that it's not coming uh, because it is coming. And every time they say, no, you can't do this, somebody finds a way around it. So for example, um, PJM said that residential assets weren't allowed to participate in ancillary services. Well, guess what? There are residential assets participating in ancillary services in PJM now because somebody found a way around it. So, um, you know, these, these assets are, are going to be there and the developers find a way. Um, so I think if we can talk with the utilities about where you need assets, where are you going to do this? How do we make sure there's as many bi-directional assets as possible so that we can make sure that the full power of the EVs are utilized? Um, one of the examples is in California, the, the DGs, um, where all of a sudden California hit the power crisis and was having flex alerts and wanted to call on those assets. And for years, the utilities had stalled being able to communicate with them or setting up a mechanism by which they could communicate on them with them. And there was a flex alert and immediately, you know, there was this crisis. Well, we, we need your power, but there was no way to do it. And there was no mechanism. So let, let's set up those emergency mechanisms and let's set up those communication structures earlier in the conversation and not when the grid has gone down or the grid is gone is, is you know, teetering on the edge. And, and those are, you know, it's, it, and maybe for the folks out there listening who don't come from um, the world of electricity, uh, like Bonnie and I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a running glossary. ISO, independent <laughs> system operator. Sorry. Folks, think about like, the air traffic. That is okay. It's impossible to do. I understand. Uh, independent system operator. It's like the air traffic control system for electricity in a certain area. And DG is distributed generation. I think you threw another one, another acronym in there, but I wasn't sure where. It's, there would be the, this is what America does not understand. Your electricity grid runs on acronyms. Uh, so, uh, soup. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but going back to, you, you made a good point there about um, the recent, uh, both of uh, whatever the big event was in California, I, was it a year ago in the summer where we had uh, rolling blackouts and then this time where we avoided them. And then the Texas uh, issue in February of uh, the, the year following the rolling blackouts in California. Yep. This idea of... Um, well, let's talk about suddenly, where there, were, there was over 40,000 people in, in California out of power just a couple of weeks ago during the heat wave. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And, Not and going away. So and, you know, the, the Midwest... <laughs> you know, air traffic controller called for, for flex alerts and uh, as well. And, and it, it's, everybody thinks it's kind of there, but it, it's, it's getting worse. And, and, and already this week, the new England, uh, air traffic control, the new England ISO, uh, has already said, this is going to happen to us this winter. And so, yep. you know, that these things, <laughs> whether they were always there before, we didn't talk about them until they turned into blackouts. Uh, are issues that are going forward, and you know we won't get into one in this podcast because gosh knows we could talk about why we got how we got into the situation <laughs> we're in. But the reality is, okay, you have these this bunch of things out there, and necessity being the mother of, of invention. In the blackout in California, uh, somebody woke up, and then they took great credit for it, saying that oh, you know what we did? We asked the Navy in San Diego if they could go on. Uh, boat power versus shore power and what do you know we saved this many megawatt I'm like well duh you didn't know there was this much plugged into the and 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 it was like a discovery to them and for us right it, it, okay so multiply that by a hundred thousand EVs or 200 or wherever we're going in the next 10 yeah. years with the with the EV fleet whether it is and think first about fleet operators like a, a FedEx or a city or somebody like that, that operates a lot of vehicles just because that's easier to optimize as a fleet of assets. Um, but even still, even if it's just you and me in our car, uh, you know, doing our thing, is there, we understand here at Shiva, the, the point about location, real-time location data is critical. 
Um, where the car is at any given moment has a great deal of benefit to this because the way the power grid works, um, you know, you're always matching supply and demand in five minute intervals, basically. That's how it would, you know, any utility people listening to this, please don't at me about this. And the, <laughs> but it's the, the idea of like you've got to match it in, in real time in a very short time frame. That means I got to get if I need electricity, I need to get someone to plug in in a certain place at a certain time right away and or virtually right away. Uh, or I can forecast it out a little bit. It's like, hey, I think in an hour I'm going to need this too. Can you be ready? And can I compensate you some way for helping me out, Mr. Yep. EV driver, by letting me take some electricity out of your battery at a certain place at a certain time? And when we have that, and, and you and I both know, Bonnie, we've gone through a lot of what we call demand response programs in, in utilities where that is where basically the utility does exactly what they did with the Navy, calls you and says, hey, listen, can you turn off something that you're using right now so we don't have to procure as much electricity in the market and there won't be a blackout for your neighbor, right? Um, but those are all very voluntary. And, and, it's, and they have very poor uptake because basically I got to push you a notification and then you got to take an action. And, you know, whether that's a text message or a tweet or whatever it is, there's lots of different models out there. The uptake is 5%, right? It means 5% of people saw the message and were in the right place at the right time to do something about what the message asked them to do. Um, here's an opportunity using location technology to at least get that dimension of, okay, don't ping 100,000 people, ping these 2,000 people who can help right now in that certain area and, and you'll get a much better uptake. Can you, like, what do you think the impact is gonna be going forward of this kind of like demand, like real-time enabled optimized demand response for the power grid as far as resilience goes? I think it's a really big potential asset. And, and this is to my point that I was making earlier about those communication structures with the utilities so that there is a mechanism in place to be able to do this. Um, mobile storage, which is what cars are, um, is an amazingly useful piece. So, you know, we have a decent idea of what the power grid is going to do and when and where, but not, not always. Um, and the ability to know in real time, um, you know, it's kind of like the Nixie, you know, the, is it Nixie the, or the emergency for like the fires and stuff that we use now? Mm -hmm. um, it's it, anyway, it's a, it's a text based program that that's allows the cities to send out, Hey, here's where the evacuations are. Here's where the points are. But to be able to have something like that, that says, Hey, we are, you know, we're in desperate need and we will let you charge your car for free if you pull over and you park in the next, you know, five minutes within these five blocks. And you use something like a Shiva technology that says, if you click yes, I will give you a pump number or something like that, that allows it to not be kind of wishy-washy where you're like, hey, I want to, I want to pull over if you'll give me a free tank of gas or a free tank, you know, free charge for my car. That'd be amazing. That would be great. Um, you know, or I'll push power back to the grid. Um, cause I do think it goes both ways, um, as well, but, uh, that ability to know in a real time and a real location is really, really critical. And the technology of something like Shiva ensures that it's not five people trying to pull over to a gas station to try and figure out, well, where am I going to go? But now I'm annoyed because I pulled over and I was trying to help, but I don't have a place. So something like, you know, giving everybody a slot, it allows, um, and that, that really important, very last, you know, the last two feet kind of, or one meter um, location is really important for the, the coordination of this. No, that's a great explanation there, Bonnie. Uh, you know, it's something that we, you know, at Shiva really, we, we grasp with the whole grid resilience and trying to again, talked about what we talked a little bit earlier, you know, making sure these assets are tracked for certain situations. Uh, but, you know, switching over to another note from EVs, there's another group that, you know, we have to look at for the transition to EVs and it's the fossil fuel distributors and car dealers. Everything that drives business is based around money and revenue. And these two groups are very leery of EVs. EVs, given the margin made on gasoline sales and maintenance needed for 
ICE vehicles it, not needed for EVs necessarily. How can we create an incentive structure for these EVs to give them a new hand to play, specifically, you know, what we've been talking about? So one of the neat points about, for example, the fossil fuel distributors is they are everywhere. And now that you can do so much standalone storage and standalone storage is now considered part of um, the investment tax credit um, and, and is part of that through the, the new infrastructure bill, there's a really neat opportunity for them to utilize some of that real estate in that space um, and partner with um, someone who's an energy expert to be able to um, utilize those assets to support the EVs, but at the same point in time, also make revenues on it. So for example, if you have a battery and you're only using it some of the time and not all of the time, you can instead take that battery and you can put it, you can bid it into, depending on what market you're in, you, you, you can bid it in locationally to the, the independent system operator, to the grid controller and say, hey, I have this battery and this battery, um, I'm going to use it from 10 to 2 because that's when my customers come. But from 2 to 6, I, you know, I just don't see the, the you know, it's outside of the commute hours. I don't see people using it all the time or I don't see that. I'm going to bid this asset into the energy market instead and make some extra revenue. Um, and if you look at something, for example, like the car dealerships, they have a lot of space and they could do solar and storage in addition. Um, and things like that allow them to add additional revenue energy structures through distributed generation that support both the EVs and themselves, um, allowing them to create additional uh, revenue streams that, that otherwise aren't seen. Um, Trevor, I'm trying very hard not to use acronyms. Um, <laughs> perhaps you can come up with a better answer for what answer this is, but... Um, the the ability to say to the the grid the grid operator hey i've got this battery if you need it all you have to do is there's an automatic switch and you just push the button and you can have it and the ability to both push power to that battery as well as to take power out of that battery or through solar and storage um if there's a you know electricity runs on on pipes right basically the the size of the wires and there's a certain capacity and the ability to use um, these locations to support not needing to build bigger pipes to, to pass power around saves everybody money. Um, and it saves a lot of structure and ability. And the utilities are finally starting to contemplate that. And there's starting to be mechanisms by which you can get paid based on your location. Um, where a, which is typically in very congested, very heavily urbanized areas where a lot of these assets, these um, gas stations or these dealerships would be a perfect spot. And, and there's kind of, it's kind of a, a critical difference. So, you know, people, when they think about electricity, uh, you know, when you have a car, you think about how far can my car go? And that's why we're always talking about range anxiety with EVs, et cetera, right? Um, which is not really a thing to me, but that's okay. Uh, the the idea of like uh, most trips are far less than the the best charge on a battery. So, um, but the uh, but this idea of how you it's not just okay. I filled up now. I now my car is useful to me. Um, people consumers don't get, and the asset owners don't get either. Uh, sometimes the the idea of Okay, I put a tank. I put a gallon of gas in my car. It's implied in the transaction of I've transferred a gallon of liquid from this big tank to my little tank, and now I optimize it by either driving my car or parking it, right? And, and whatever's left over of the gallon of gas comes with me everywhere I go until I use it. Um, in electricity, since there's no real the storage mechanism, the, the car actually has the storage mechanism that relationship works the other way, right? It's not the gas station says, I've got the big tank, you've got the little one, I'm in charge. In in the world of EVs, actually the EV driver is in charge because like, I'm the guy who's got the electricity. Hey, Grid, you want it. You don't know where you might need it because 
maybe a power plant has tripped off somewhere like there's been or maybe there's been a storm or whatever there or maybe there's just it's a slightly hotter day than they thought it would be and they need more electricity in a certain place at a certain time well you've actually got a great deal of market power uh when you own the storage device and there is a whole set of it's not just a transaction cost of saying tank of gas is four dollars a full charge on a tesla is ten um it's it's the idea of okay there's i'll pay you ten dollars for your trevor i'll pay you ten dollars for your electricity now um, or Trevor, you pay ten dollars to fuel your Tesla or to give it a full charge. But right now, that electricity is worth a hundred, and literally, that kind of volatility can happen. Imagine if your gas prices, even though all the madness we went through with gas prices lately, if they fluctuated every five minutes, right? Um, and that's and that's the difference. So there are ways, and then, then there's other payments you get made too for just being there to be able to bolster the grid, even if you don't transfer the electricity. There are payments for that because the grid just says, "I need you in reserve. Are you ready in reserve?" Are you on the sidelines? Okay, good. Okay, thanks for being ready, but we're not going to play this game. Um, so but we're going to pay you anyway. So th that's the same idea. Uh, anyway, uh, Bonnie, uh, it's been this has been a great discussion. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add about any of that stuff, Bonnie. Uh, if there's anything, any other points you want to make, um, just about the idea of, of you know suddenly having a whole lot of extra storage on the grid. I think the the ability to have so much additional storage on the grid is a real asset. Um, and I think people are going to realize that it's it's actually both um, for charging and for discharging of those assets. It, it's, you know, the, the fun of energy is that it's, it's there and then it's gone unless you have a battery. Um, and most recently, uh, one of the RF, the, the, proposals that I worked on for, for a utility in the Southwest um, required somebody to soak up power and to take extra power uh, in the wintertime from 10 to 2, which is when they have too much solar. And the solar is great when they're supporting HVAC loads in the summer, um, but not so much in the winter. They have too much generation in, in specific locations. So I think there's some really neat opportunities um, instead of, and, and the, the, the small scale of these distributed assets, including vehicles, really allows you to fine tune things and allows you to work with small pieces instead of only having the ability to wield big blocks that are, that are when you're doing the balancing. And this will really change and make it a much better grid as we move forward. Indeed, more resilient that way. Uh, it, it, well, great. Well, Bonnie Lind, uh, founder of Berkshire Bridge Energy. Thank you very much on behalf of uh, me and Jack and all of you out there too. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in and listening to these. We appreciate it. Uh, you can reach out to us anytime. Uh, we, the contact information is on the Spotify page uh, or you can also reach us at info at shiva.ai anytime. Uh, so thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks to all of you joining us today at That New Car Sense. On behalf of my co-host Trevor, our guest today, and the whole Shiva AI team, we're humbled you've taken the time to listen. If you have anything you'd like to hear us discuss in future episodes, we're all ears too. We hope you've taken away something good today. If you have any questions about today's podcast, email us at outreach at shiva.ai. And you'll see more information, links, and our social handles in the podcast description below. Till then, enjoy the drive. Talk to you next time.